Welcome to Garfield Ridge Baptist Church on February 13, 2022. We are going through our discipleship series on assurance of our salvation. Again, this is through the um, ABCs of Christian living. And so we're going to start out. Last week we went through a couple things, and I'll be quick about it. I went through the six steps of Christian growth. One of those is go to a Bible-believing church. Maybe else, what's R stand for in growth? Anyone? What does R stand for? Read your Bible daily. Read your Bible daily, right? Uh, what's the O stand for? Obey Christ when you baptize. Obey Christ when you baptize. W stands for? Witness to others of Christ. And T stands for? Thank God daily in prayer. And H stands for? Honor God with the Alright, so we have a lot of things that we can work on. But we're going to start this week on the assurance of our salvation. And it says here in our lesson, it says, Satan may try to get you to doubt your salvation. He may cause you to wonder if you really are a Christian and tell you that because you do not feel any different than before, nothing really happened. And then you might sin. You might slip back into something of your old ways. Satan is quick to sow the seeds of doubt by telling you that Christians don't sin. When doubts come, what will your answer be? The purpose of this study is to teach you that by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved now and forever. You can know it for certain. I do think this is a plague, uh, situation that plagues a lot of Christians, and the reason for that is, is a lot of Christians deal with this same idea of sin. Do you believe God's Word? Do you believe that He saved you for eternity? If you believe that you had something to do with it, then you're not truly saved. You're basically believing in your own good works to get you to heaven. And that's the importance of understanding the assurance of your salvation. It's believing that Christ saved you and nothing else will. The belief that Jesus Christ came to earth to save you. And that through you coming to Him and receiving Him as your Savior, you can be saved. And so that's one of the things that I think is super important in the assurance of your salvation. Is having that understanding that God is here to, to, to save you for eternity. It's not just a, uh, a short path, but it's for eternity. So, uh, good morning, Brother Long. We are in uh, study number one. Uh, we're talking about the assurance of our salvation. Uh, I hope you enjoy Castlemate's uh, seminar rolls this morning. So, they are good stuff. Uh, probably not good for me because I'll probably be having high, uh, sky high blood sugar. Uh, but they're good stuff. All right, so, we are in lesson number one. And so, basically, what is the first thing? It says, What is meant by assurance? And just to kind of rehash what I've already said, and that idea there is that assurance is an important part of your salvation. If you understand assurance, you'll be able to keep a very confident view of your spiritual life. So we have here, it says, what is meant by assurance? And I got this right here. And letter A, the key words in this verse. So the verse they're talking about is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Let's turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. find here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 is the verse that says for which cause I also suffer these things nevertheless I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's two key words that we know of this verse and what are they? Yes. Know and proceed. Know 
You got the first one right. No is correct. You know what the other one is, Brother Orlando? No is persuaded. Persuaded. Good job. Persuaded. We think of that word persuaded in such a weird way. Uh, you know, salesman persuades us. Uh, someone might persuade us to a value or something of that nature. But really, when it comes down to it, you have to be persuaded in your own mind that Christ came to save. Not just your own uh, uh, head knowledge. God, and this is something that I think is important, and we'll get to it eventually, is this idea of uh, feeling different than before. It's not a feeling. It's an understanding that God has saved you. I know as, a, as I was a young person, one of the things I struggled with was this understanding of feeling. I don't feel saved. It's not the way it works. It's not a feeling. It's an understanding that God has given you. Uh, and, and what you did, God never turned his back on you. When you get saved, you're saved for eternity. So we find here the key words in this verse is know and what? Persuaded. It's a knowing not a feeling. And then letter B, it says, look up 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. And we find here in verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So there's two things here. It says, first of all, on the basis of this verse of scriptures, what would you say God wants you to have assurance of your salvation? Maybe I said that wrong. On the basis of your verse of, verse of scripture, would you say God wants you to have assurance of your salvation? It's pretty simple. Yes or no answer? Yes. Good job. All right. Yes, he wants you to have assurance. And then it says number two, what word in this verse indicates this? Well, that's pretty simple. All right, let's read the verse together again. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life. <laughs> That's a pretty simple word. No. Again, it goes back to the same verse that we find in 2 Timothy, which is what? Uh, that you know and persuaded. There's a knowledge, it's an understanding. It is not a feeling. And then it's got two different, uh, so we basically what is meant by assurance, it's not so much the sense of a feeling, and believe me, today society has, and a lot of modern religions have got this, well, i got to feel like this. The Pentecostals have taken this feeling, it's not a feeling, it's a knowledge, God has saved you. I remember when I struggled with my salvation as a young person, it wasn't until I came to an understanding that God's word said it, I did it, and that's enough. I have to believe that God's word is true. As the verse says, and we'll get to this eventually, let God be true and every man a liar. God saved us, and when he saved us, it wasn't just for a short time. He saved us for eternity. And we find the second thing uh, that we find in our lesson today is why do I need assurance? Why do I need assurance? Let me just erase some of this here so we don't get all confused. All right. Why? Do I need assurance? Well, I think there's some really important parts that uh, this uh, lesson talks about. And that is, number one, assurance brings us, and it's a three-letter word. 
Oh, well, let's read it. Let's see if she's right. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. Oh, you think you're just smarty pants, aren't you? All right. First John chapter one, verse four says, and these things rightly unto you that your what? Joy may be full. Joy may be full. Assurance brings us joy. Joy. You're exactly right. Assurance brings us joy. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that if you are unsure of your salvation, it brings you uh, a loss of peace and happiness. Uh, if you don't know you're saved, you're no different than the unsaved who have no, no assurance of their salvation. You're on the same path, you're on the same route. But assurance will bring you that joy. Secondly, it says assurance brings us, and it's, I think it's nine letters, C, before God. Put your hand down. All right, let's go ahead and see what it says. First uh, John chapter three. First John chapter three, verses nineteen and verse twenty-one. First John chapter three, verse nineteen and twenty-one. Chloe, could you read that loud for us? And hereby we know that we are not; we are of the truth, and shall share our hearts before Him. Okay, verse twenty-one. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. All right, Brooklyn, was it right? Which one is it? Confidence. Confidence. Good job. Confidence. C-O-N-F-I-D-E-N-C-E. We have confidence through God. The importance of confidence is what? If you don't have confidence, if someone goes and you go to buy a vehicle and you don't have confidence in that vehicle, uh, it seems like it's got some problems, it's rusty, it's got uh, mechanical issues. Hey, you don't have confidence in it, you're not going to buy it. Same way with anything else in your life. If, if, you, uh, if you're going to marry someone, you want to have confidence this is what is the right thing to do. Your job situation, if you don't have confidence in what you're doing, you won't do a good job at it. In the same sense, your Christian life is important to have confidence before who? Before God. Confidence is an important part to be able to live the Christian life. You will not trust anything the Lord provides or does because you never took care of the confidence that you had through your salvation. Letter C, assurance brings us, and it's another C word. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. It says here, That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So we find here, not only does it bring us confidence, what else does it bring us? And it's six letters. Anybody? Yes. Comfort. 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 What a good thing. You know, sometimes sin, like it says in the beginning of our lesson, sin will bring us to a point of discomfort. If you're a Christian here today, when you do something wrong, you'll be uncomfortable about doing things that are against the will of God. 
you will stand there and you will know that you are wrong before God. And it will bring you a discomfort. But if you're truly saved and you get right with God, He will bring you that comfort. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a what? Comforter. The Bible says that's what Jesus would send after He would leave. He would leave the Comforter. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He comforts you and He brings you to that understanding of comfort. If you don't have comfort in your belief, and, it's, and this is very under, very uh, uh, important thing to understand, that is if you don't have comfort, you need to take care of it. Sin will bring you to that point of no comfort. And so that's important to understand. Assurance brings us comfort of heart. And then James chapter 1, verse 8 it's the last one here, or letter, uh, letter B. Assurance brings us, and this is something that you would put in your own words. So let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what does assurance bring us according to this verse? What? Stability. Thank you. Good job. Stability. Stability. If you have uh, confidence and you have comfort, what else are you going to have? You're going to be stable, right? People that are unhappy with their marriage, guess what eventually happens if they stay unhappy? Eventually they'll get divorced, or they don't want to get out of it. Same way with anything. Your work, uh, if you're not comfortable and you don't have confidence, what are you going to have? Instability at work. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to say, ah, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'll, I'll try to find something different to do. Anything with your work, your school. Sometimes people are uncomfortable with what they're doing. They don't have confidence in what they're doing. They're unhappy what they're doing and so there's a lot of instability they have to gain that confidence they have to gain that comfort in the knowledge that they have in the same sense with your salvation if you don't have that comfort and confidence you're not going to be stable the understanding there is the bible says unstable in all his ways it means everything that he does and that is so true in christians today there seems to be a epidemic of christians who have lost the path that they're supposed to be going on because they're so caught up in so many different things. They don't know what to do. Uh, it's kind of funny. Have you ever seen someone walk on ice? Oh, yeah. We got this down the bottom of our stairs in our new house that we bought. There's this place where the water puddles up. And, of course, it freezes real well. And you should see me and my wife as we go down those steps. Literally, we step very carefully. We're not sure about the foundation of where we're stepping, Right? We're very unstable. In the same sense, when you have, when you don't have a strong foundation in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll be a very unstable in your pathway forward. I think many young people and, and young adults that grow up in second generation Christians that grow up in the church, many times the reason why they leave when they're 17, 18 years old is they don't have stability in their Christian walk. People don't last very long if you don't have that stability. Important to understand. Letter E, assurance enables us to, and it says here, let me make sure I get the right verse. 
assurance enables us, and it's the letter O, the world. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. Brooklyn, why don't you read that for us? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who, that, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? All right. What does it mean to overcome the world? Maybe I just need to define that for a little bit. What does it mean to overcome the world? Well, um, to, oh, <laughs> to just be over what the world is teaching and just get through it to be... God has told us to love the world, right? Or love not the world, be the things that are in the world. But the Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. What is it talking about? It's talking about the philosophies of the world. Okay? There's a lot of philosophies out there that are uh, antagonistic towards the things of God. And so we find here in this verse that we've when you accept Christ as your Savior, you're able to overcome those philosophies. A lot of times those philosophies are, are rooted and based in the things of Satan, the things of sin. There's three things that every Christian has to struggle with when they get saved. Sin, Satan, and the world. The world is the philosophies of the world, the ideas of the world. Uh, everybody in the world wants to have lots of money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. That is a philosophy, the love of money is a philosophy of the world. The Bible says that, uh, or the world tells you today, just do whatever your heart desires. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? You cannot have a strong foundation as a Christian and believe the things of the world. Why? Because, again, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with inside you, and now you are bought with Jesus Christ's blood, no longer yourself. But now you are what? An overcomer of the world. You're no longer going to be satisfied with the world's philosophies and the world's teachings. We have to be careful with that. So letter E was overcome the world. Letter F, assurance enables us to effectually serve the Lord by telling others about Jesus. And we have quite a few verses here. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 40. And 41. John chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. And I'll read that for sake of time. It says, One of the two of which heard John speak, followed him, was Andrew Simon, Peter's brother. He first findeth his brother, own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. So we find here that John, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Andrew, found his brother what? I'm sorry, John found his who? He found Andrew, and he witnessed to Andrew. There was a sense of as soon as he got saved, he was effectively telling others about Jesus. John chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. We find in John chapter 4, it says in verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. 
automatically the woman at the well, what? Led others to Christ. And listen, as you're saved here today, you should have that desire to serve, uh, serve Christ through winning others to Jesus. Winning others to Him. And then lastly, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verse 10. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. When you're saved, you'll be as Philip did. Verse 10, it says, And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia. I'm sorry, Paul. Assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Paul understood the importance of being a witness. Even so, that he went to the missionary journey of uh, the Macedonian call and did what God wanted him to do. All right. So those are the things that why do I need? And now we're going on to the next one. And let me erase this. So we got, why do I need assurance of my salvation? Anybody have any questions? Any questions? Anything they would like to add to this? So now we find here, what is the basis of the assurance of our salvation? What is the basis? Now I know you can't all see that, but the first basis that we have in the assurance of our salvation is the person of God. Now, you say, what does this have to do with my salvation, the person of God? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is probably one of the most important ones. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, and I've already mentioned this already uh, earlier, Titus 1 and verse 2, and it finds, it says, in verse 1, or verse 2, in a hope of eternal life, which God that what? What does it say? Cannot lie. God cannot lie. We we think uh, politicians lie to us, right? Salesmen lie to us. But God cannot lie. I have a verse that I have a magnetic sticker on the back of my fridge. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. God is always right. God is always true. And we can believe God's word to be the truth. If you don't believe God's word or you don't believe God, then you're in a really bad situation. You can never be saved. But the good, the good thing is to know that when you do get saved, God never what? Turned back on His promises. So first of all, the person of God in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, God cannot lie. Secondly, uh, let me go back a second and let me just back up. It's, let me read something from here. It says, many Christians base their assurance of salvation upon personal feelings. I've already mentioned this. The problem with this is that feelings change. One day you may feel saved. The next day, through circumstances, you may not feel saved. You have something more than feelings to go by the unchanging word of God. And let's turn to 1 John verse 5, 11 and 12. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, that in his Son, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's very cut and dry, right? There's no guessing. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you put him in your life, you have eternal life. There's nothing to doubt there. God said it, that settles it. And I think this, this was one of the things that finally brought me to my full assurance of my salvation in my own personal life. When I was 12, I struggled all the way up until I was about 17 years old with my salvation. 
I remember as I sat in a chapel service when I was a young person and I listened to a preacher preach how that he struggled with the same thing. When he finally came to that understanding of the confidence in the word of God and believing what God said, his assurance was, was solidified. And I think in the same sense, any Christian that struggles with their assurance outside of salvation, one of the reasons is they, they lack the belief or the knowledge of God's salvation and that he is what? Always true and honest. He's never going to lie to you. Secondly, we find that, first of all, the person of God, his own character. And secondly, we find the promises of God. Let her be the promises of God. Promises of God. So let's find these promises. All right, John chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, Brother Rolando, if you could turn to John chapter 6, verse 37. Chloe, Romans chapter 10, and verse 13. And whenever you're there, Brooklyn, go ahead and read it for us. John chapter 5, the two words what no not live read what you got there read your verse God says I have have h-a-v-e I have everlasting life everlasting life and I what's the next one and I Let's see here. How many blanks is it? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. And I, what's your verse say? I remember this one. We had some alternate wording. Either in the book, I think. Okay. God says, I have everlasting life, and I, maybe it's not spelled right. Let me see what they put for their lesson here. Oh. All right, it says here, oh, yes, shall not, shall not come. Secondly, um, verse 2, so this is the promise of God, I have everlasting life and I shall not come to condemnation. That condemnation is talking about the wrath of God through uh, 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 those that are not saved, they are on their way to hell. Uh, when you get saved, no longer is that condemnation upon your life. John chapter 6 and verse 37, Brother Rwanda. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Alright, so we find here, not only do we find... John chapter 5, verse 24, that I have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. But secondly, because I came to Jesus Christ, he will what? In no wise. Number two, no wise. Pass me out. You've heard these. Uh, hi, Brother Ronnie. Good to see you, sir. Let me give you one of these. Would you ever get one of these? These are discipleship lessons. We're on this page. All right. 
So in no wise will he cast me out. What does it mean to be no wise? That's kind of an old archaic saying nowadays, right? The idea of no wise means he's not going to, okay? No wise. There's no way, okay, he's going to cast me out. And that understanding, we've heard the stories of how they come before the pearly gates of, uh, uh, of the throne of God. And Peter, St. Peter's standing there and he says, well, I don't know, your, your good works are not good enough. That's not the way it works. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are guaranteed a spot in heaven with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's not going to no wise cast you out. So we find here no wise. Number three, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, those who call upon the name of the Lord, and it's a four-letter word, so Chloe, go ahead and read that for us. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. What does Romans 10, 13, those who call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be Shall saved. be saved. Shall be saved. It doesn't say maybe or quite possibly. It says shall be saved. Meaning it's an automatic a promise that once you've called upon the Lord's name, you've asked him to be your savior, you shall be saved. You will be saved. It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. You are saved. What a great verse to know that's that assurance of your salvation. These are just a sampling of some of the positive statements that God puts towards in writing to, that He cannot, the God who cannot lie for us that we can be saved. All right, so we've talked about the promises of God. And let's go to the next one, which is... All right. Let's go back to... This is a long one. We're going to have to kind of fly through this. We've got, we've got more time than I thought. The presence of God. So we talked about, first of all, the person of God. Why is it important? Because he does not lie. Secondly, we looked at the promises of God. And thirdly, we're going to look at the presence of God. The presence of God. Now we're not talking about presence as in Christmas presents. But the presence of God. The idea of God being with us. So we find our first verses in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Adeline, why don't you turn there for me? Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And uh, Chloe, why don't you read for me uh, the next one, which would be First John chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What does God gives us? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, that is correct. Now, I've already talked about this idea of the Holy Ghost. He resides within us. When you get saved, no longer are you alone. No longer are you uh, set, as you're set apart for Christ. And so in doing so, you have the presence of God upon your life. Now, you can offend that presence very easily by sinning. Uh, but it's always going to be with you. There's no doubt. There are times, uh, I don't know about you, but I've had a roommate or two that uh, was very unpleasant. A roommate that I didn't care for. And the reason for that is because he offended me. 
And you can offend the Holy Ghost. He is your roommate, you might say. He's there with you on a consistent basis. But He dwells in your heart. He will give you that assurance of your salvation. If you're not saved, listen, you will know. You will know. And you say, how is that? Because the Holy Spirit is inside you reminding you that you're one of His. Every time that you make a mistake, every time you sin, God says, hey, what do you do? If you're not saved and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, one of the first signs that you'll know that is because you have no conscience towards the things of God. You don't have a problem with sinning. You don't have a problem with continuing to live in that type of life. God will change that spirit. We find here in Romans 8, 16, and whose turn is to read that? Chloe, read that for me. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. All right. What bears witness? What? Okay, gave away. I was going to say the Spirit of God, and it is the Spirit of God bears witness. I just already talked about this. Kind of jumped the gun. If you, uh, Brother Rolando, uh, you have, if you paid off a car and have a have a title at home. And uh, let's just say, I come to you and say, you know what, that uh, traverse is not yours, it's mine. What can you do to prove to me that that is your traverse? Title, right? You bring it and say, look, pastor, this is my car, it's not yours. See, here's the title. In the same sense, the Holy Spirit is that title. He is the basically the down payment of your salvation. He is proof that you are saved. And that's important to understand. You can know that Jesus Christ lives inside you. You can know that we are a fact of God's children. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. Brother Rolando, if you'd read that for us. It's the first part of it. It's A. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. A. He that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. Alright. So what do we know here? What's inside you? The witness. And what is that witness? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lies inside you and reminds you that you're one of His. Alright. So we've talked about the promise, the presence, the person of God. So now we have the next one. How can you know? We talked about it's not a feeling. And that you have to be persuaded. So you say, how can I know that I'm saved? All right, here's a Bible checklist. If you want to go down this checklist uh, and ask yourself if this is what you are, then you'll know for sure you're saved. First of all, turn to Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. Brooklyn, read that for me. Brother Ronnie, if you get a chance, turn your Bibles to first. Oh, okay. Chloe, read 1 John chapter 5, uh, 5 verse 12. Adeline, read 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. And then Brother Rolando, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. So John chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Go ahead, Brooklyn. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Okay. Now, what does it say? I know I'm saved because I what? Believed. Believed. 
believed. I believed on Jesus Christ. There has to be a point in time when you said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. I believe Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin. I believe Jesus Christ is the, is the God Almighty and He can save me. That's part of your salvation is believing. If you've never done that, then you might question, hey, maybe I'm not saved. You say, oh, I do that every morning. No, it's a one-time thing that you have to believe. Now, you do it every morning after that because, again, Christ is a part of your life, but you what? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we find here the second part that you can this checklist. I, am, I know I am saved because I have, and who is next? 1 John 5, 12. Who's reading that? Adeline? No, I'm three. I think that's you, or maybe... I think it's me. All right, go ahead. Read it. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. All right. I know I'm saved because I what? Have the Son of God. Have the Son. You have the Son of God. And that is important to understand because without Jesus Christ, without His blood, there is no remission of sin. Letter C. I know I am saved because I... Ooh, ooh, this is a hard, time, hard one for some people. This might be something that uh, is a good indicator. 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Read it for me, Adeline. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abide in death. What is that say? Love the what? Brother. Brethren. Brethren. What is the brethren? Your sisters or brothers in Christ. You're right. Your sister or brother in Christ. If you can't stand to be around anybody in church, you can't stand around to be around Christians, it's a good sign that maybe you're not saved yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. Are there some Christians who are just annoying? <laughs> Absolutely. There's all kinds of shapes and sizes in the Christian faith. But there should be some Christians that you get along with. There should be some brothers and sisters in Christ that you enjoy being with. If you truly are saved, you're going to love the brother. Why? Because they're part of the local body of Christ. They're part of that, that situation. And you love being around them because they're just like you. They're your brother. Uh, you girls say, well... Dad, I don't love my sister like that. All right? Well, you will in time. A lot of that's maturity, right? But there should be always a sense of love for the brother. Letter D, and I think that's you, Brother Rolando, right? And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. All right. So what is the I am saved because I desire to keep what? Commandments. What are the commandments? What are the commandments? Let's leave me very clear. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, those are commandments, yes. Those are the very broad ones that we find in Exodus that basically deal with the relationship with God and relationship with man. Worship no other idol. Okay, that's a commandment, correct. But commandments are a very broad base. Basically, is the word of God. You want to keep God's word. I've met some Christians that I wonder if they're saved because they literally have no desire to be faithful to God's Word. 
God tells us very specific things to do in His Word. It's our literally our roadmap as Christians. And so if, if you're truly saved, you're going to want to desire to keep those commandments. Letter E, I know I'm saved because I desire to turn from what? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says here in verse 15, I'll read it, I'm giving this name to guess. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you want to know for sure if you're saved or not, guess what you're going to do? You're not going to love the things of this world. You're going to turn from your love for the things that you think are right all your life, and you're going to turn from the world and its sin. So the, the fifth thing that we know here, I desire to turn from the world and sin. It's amazing to me, I was talking to a preacher not too long ago, and I was asking about a recent convert that was in his church. And that convert... Um, What's a convert? What, someone that's been saved. Sorry. And recently had been saved, and, and I said, well, what's he doing now? It's been about six months. Has he gone to church? No. Has he desired to be in church? No. Has he changed? No. More than likely, that man is not saved. The Bible says very clearly, once you have what saved, you have what overcome the world. It tells us that you no longer love the world. This is not the love. Uh, uh, you're no longer going to keep. You're going to keep God's commandments. As soon as you be saved, now again, people take time to overcome sin and become the Christian they need to be. But there should be a sense that hey, I need to do this. This is important. God puts that in your heart. I grew up with a lot of kids who didn't have that. And the reason for that is because either, number one, they weren't taught, and uh, basically just followed along with what everybody else was doing, or because they weren't saved. And so I would like to say that a lot of them, either they're not in church today, they're not being faithful to the things of God, they're not keeping His commandments, I have to say that probably some of them are not saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, I know I'm saved because what? Read that for me, Brother Lamont, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. I think we've already read this once, actually. Almost there. <laughs> for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world even in Alright, so what does it mean? Again, we're going back to the same verse. Overcoming the world. We talked about this today. What's the world? We're going to go out there and start stabbing the ground. I hate this world! Right? Uh, are we going to go out there and start just cutting down trees and plants? Oh, I hate this world! Is that what we're talking about? What is it talking about? What's that? Philosophy of this world, right? The, the ideas of this world. I gave examples of a couple. Love, love, love money is the root of all evil. The world today says love money, love fame. Do whatever your heart says to do. That's not what the Bible teaches, does it? You overcome the philosophies of the world. Verse, our seventh one, letter G. I know I'm saved because 
Verse John 5.10. Turn there for me, Brooklyn. Chloe, turn to Matthew 7, 17 and 18. And then Adeline, John chapter 10, verse 27. We might get through this. That was a big one. All right, go ahead. Brooklyn, read it for us. First John chapter 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, the, not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. All right, what is witnessing to you? What is witnessing to you, according to that verse? The Holy Spirit is witnessing to you. It's telling you you are saved. And I already gave this example uh, as the idea that the Holy Spirit is your down payment, but it's uh, a proof that you're saved. Have you ever asked yourself, am I saved? I've asked that sometimes. Uh, the Bible says to check you, see if you're in the faith. And there's times when I've had to ask myself, am I doing, am I doing this right? Am I, why do I have a spirit? And God reminds me, you are saved. You're one of mine. Maybe you struggle a little bit with your salvation and your assurance. Some of it comes back to, are you having witnessed by the Holy Spirit that you are saved? The Holy Spirit will tell you, and I'll guarantee you that because it personally tells me. Number eight, I know I'm saved, and this is a big one. Read it for me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But the corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Evidence of what? Good fruit. Good fruit. What is good fruit? Does that mean, uh, Brother Rolando, I'm going to pull up and, and today at church I'm going to have apples and oranges. They're not rotten. They're good fruit. Is that what we're talking about? No. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. You as Christians can know that you're saved if you bring forth good fruit. What is it? What is evil fruit? Corrupt. What is corrupt fruit? Rotten. Rotten? Can you give me an example of rotten fruit in the, in the faith? No compassion, no kindness, no, no. coming to church. Anger, right? Wrath, 